Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the ninth week, yes, the ninth week of the spring 2017 anime season. I'm your host Dustin and with me today is Larry. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Ben. Hey. And Aaron, who is currently busy leveling up his character in Final Fantasy fourteen. My character is fully leveled up. I just have right. to grind stupid tomes for gear because I'm gear locked out of the last uh, dungeon. Right, correction, grinding your item level. Oh, I hate that so much. <laughs> so stupid. Anyway, uh, you can find show notes for this episode at www.projectari.net or at www.audioentropy.com. And we'll start with... Sekai Surukado, episode 7, uh, where we go on a fun little adventure in a helicopter with some journalists. You, you think they've had better control over the airspace in the area rather than just wait for a helicopter to come up next to the cube? One would think. <laughs> that was sort of bizarre, I will grant you. Um, that the helicopter was kind of just able to, like, go over there. Uh, and the military wouldn't really mention anything until they were at the cube shouting at it. Yeah, un until they apparently heard them over the loudspeaker. Also, the military's like, we'll, we'll make you go away with force, but what they what were they going to do to the journalists? Like, get a rocket launcher? Like, yeah, shoot them down. I mean, I feel like... Shooting down a like a a helicopter filled with three journalists with an RPG would probably not be great PR for the military. <laughs> be fine. I'm sorry, not for not for the military, the defense force. Uh, They're military, Dustin. Just go with yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so what's what I find interesting about this episode is that like there is a scene of protesters. Going like, don't block our sun, alien. Go away. I love that scene. We don't want you here taking our gerbs. I love that scene. Dang, like, alien. Don't block the sun. It's like, Dang really? Fourth dimensional immigrants taking our jobs. Um, yeah, I don't know what that was about, really. Uh, well, like, because I guess the giant it's a metaphor. Cube. No, maybe. The, the giant cube was casting shade and it was blocking the sun from hitting them. Yeah. yeah, because yeah, right, because uh, because the cube is on the shore of a lake, which is probably a pretty, probably a pretty valuable property, and so like all the people in the area have to live in the shadow of this cube, which is probably yeah. messing up, which is, which is probably messing up their view of the lake. But the thing is, is that, like, they kind of just show that with zero context. It's just, here's some protesters, and they have a sign. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of how the show has, in general, has treated anyone outside, like, the sort of circle of primary characters, is that they will occasionally reference things happening, but it never seems to actually impact anything. Like, and never... The show never really actually seems to care about Yeah, like the, the UN only happening. came up twice. Yeah, which, like, as much as I like this show, it does definitely have 
more of a simplistic view and some definite blind spots when it comes to realistic political scenarios. <laughs> it's like they wanted to touch on them, but just touch on them. Because I guarantee you, the big because I guarantee you, other countries would be making a much bigger deal about this than they currently have. Like America has like gone. Can we see the cube, please? Come on, let's see. Yeah, no, America would like invade one episode. Well, we wouldn't invade, but we do have a military base. We do have multiple military bases in Japan, and we'd be like, and we'd be like, yeah. So, I mean, technically, this cube also invaded our our space too. So, you know, we're just gonna take a look at it and take a look at it and form a perimeter. You know, just that's like because we have, cause we have like guns. The, the gate from gate. Yeah, it's because we have tanks and you don't. Like if, you, if you think the U.S. wouldn't immediately jump on that. Yeah. Uh, also, just like, and not even just the U.S., but like, I don't know, Russia. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, and like, China or North Korea would probably not be super enthused about Japan suddenly harboring a fourth dimensional entity that was giving them godlike powers. They'd probably be pretty worried about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just... It's a very... You're it is very myopic. Out. Oh, I am? It might be my internet connection. There's... I don't know. It's been weird for a bit. But um, I'll just try closing some browser windows. Uh, but yeah, like... In general, the show has been kind of myopic in some areas. Stop the porn downloads, Dustin. I'm, I'm not I'm not downloading anything though. I got all that done last night. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, but yeah, I mean, t- t- tell your dad to stop downloading porn. <laughs> uh, he's busy playing The Witcher, which I guess in a way is. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's frustrating sometimes that because like the show is smart in some areas and in other areas is very dumb. <laughs> I've been talking for a lot. Do you guys want to say anything? Okay. Actually, I've been having... Uh, I've been reading some interesting things about, uh, like, about the about the issue of zoning in Japan. Uh, and uh, Yeah, no, that does sound fascinating. And, Tell me more. And, uh, no, it's like... All right, because... Uh, right, because the, the economics blogs I read, uh, they talk about, like, why, think, why it costs... Like, why construction costs are so much higher in the U.S. than in Japan. And so one thing about that is that, like, it's so much easier for, uh, it's so much easier to build things in Japan because zoning regulations are set at the national level. So, like, you, so local homeowners, local homeowners don't have as much power to block construction projects. So, so you think, okay, so the way that relates to Kato is all those, like, property owners who are protesting, like, they get completely outvoted. They can't stop what's going on. All they can do is just complain about it. Uh. So. So, you know, good sides and bad sides. Yes, it's affordable, but also, your opinion doesn't matter. (laughs) Right. I like 
the uh, the festival scene. That was pretty good. Yeah, as sort of like strangely out of place as it was, given what the tone of the show has been so far, I did end up enjoying their little festival outing. Especially when he just, especially when uh, he puts the mask on the alien prince. <laughs> And then, so, yeah, Shindo puts the mask on uh, Zashunina, and uh, somebody else puts a mask on Shindo. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, cause she's like, you know, you realize you're just as famous as the alien now. Uh, well, yeah, and then, and, and then that same lady uh, wins a turtle, I believe. Yeah, I don't understand how that works. Like, I see the fishes with the little paper thing. But how do you pick up a turtle with that? I mean, you just use your hands, Aaron. Like that's cheating, though. Just grab the turtle. And who's just gonna run? stop you? Who's <laughs> gonna stop you? The turtle police. <laughs> just take the turtle and run. I uh, yeah, I don't know how I don't know how Japanese festivals work. All I know about Maybe Japanese like festivals, you, you get fish, I learned get from the... Persona. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's like you get thirty fish, you get the turtle instead, which doesn't seem like a good deal. There weren't even any, there weren't even thirty fish in there. There were like five. That's <laughs> probably why you can because never get the turtle, Dustin. Probably because the turtle ate the other twenty-five <laughs> fish. Tur- turtles love fish, Aaron. You're right. Maybe it's a vegan turtle. Vegan turtles do not exist, Aaron. <laughs> How do you know? I've owned a turtle, Aaron. You've owned one turtle. Have you owned all turtles? No, I have not earned every turtle. Well, then you don't know every turtle's personal preference. But if I could, I would, and then I would use those turtles to over overthrow the proletariat. <laughs> Just stick bombs in their shells. Moving <laughs> right along. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, so, anyway. Well, we get the reveal at the end that what's-her-face wants to get rid of the alien. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she doesn't want him here anymore. But also, we completely skipped over the fact that, like... So, for some reason, like, the way that the brain thing works that that allows you to not sleep anymore is it opens up your mind briefly to the (laughs) fourth dimension where you can... To the fourth dimension where you can see yourself throughout all time, basically. Yeah, yeah. You can it, see your entire time frame. It, it allows you to view your alternate universe's self. Yeah, which I guess wouldn't be fourth dimension. That'd be more like sixth dimension. Yeah, nth dimension. Yeah. I, I need to watch that video again on the definitions of each dimension. It's I, I should actually link that in the show notes. I just uh, like the it. object. <laughs> oh yeah, it kind of splits apart and then just waves a little bit. Yeah, it's and... like a weird brain slinky. <laughs> and then you get the weirdest LSD trip of your life. Yeah. Like, Whoa, like, man! Have you I ever like myself? Looked... Yeah, have you ever like looked at your mirror universe self's hand before? <laughs> like, really looked at it. Uh... See, that's where. See, that's where. Uh where Kato's uh, CG animation really comes into, comes into its own, because the CG, like, it really emphasizes the, like, utter alienness of all yeah. this stuff. 
Yeah, that yeah, scene this, was really this, good. This episode is actually where, like, I kind of, I, like, really realized why they went with so hard with CG. Um, because it's so they could make, like, these strange, trippy visuals that don't really make a lot of sense uh, in a much easier fashion. Uh, particularly, like, the one I immediately thought of was when the was when, like, the brain thing, the brain slinky just, like, rises out of the box, like, it clips through it. <laughs> Which would look really dumb in 2D, but when you're doing it all in CGI, it's like, oh yeah, I know what that concept is because I've done it in video games before. So, like, he's broken reality so much, it's like a video game to him now. The third, the, Like, the third dimension for him is, like, no clip. Uh... But yeah, it's this. This is definitely the episode where I was like, okay, yeah, no, I understand the art direction, like why they went this way. Um, it, it was used very well. Um, what's interesting about this is that kind of the stuff we talked about last time we talked about Kato and like the implications of humans not needing to sleep, like. It seems like they're gonna start talking about that, but then they don't like. <laughs> but then like, time for cultural Shindo festival. says something cryptic, but then he never gets to finish his statement. <laughs> yeah, time for uh, festival. Also, yeah. here's your uh, album art, Dustin. Yeah, I, I was, I was literally about to say like. <laughs> because I, I I'm kind of going through the episode, and I actually just got to that scene where. Uh, Vashadina summons seven more heads of himself and then has the heads form a heart shape. Uh, and like as you po- and as you said, this is gonna be the album art. I'm like, okay, I immediately know what frame you're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the only possible frame that could exist. Do not uh, anger the alien and his seven heads, or eight heads, I suppose, including yeah. his, the one that's attached to him. <laughs> yeah, he can give a lot of head. Anyway. Oh, oh, oh. Um, oh. That's free to all you slash fiction writers. Where, where he, he like summons his detached arms. Yeah, and just <clears throat> he seems to actually really have fun just freaking people out. Like, dude, you, you realize you can just move your arms. No, I prefer to use uh, antistropic energy to take my arm, arms off of my body and move them through Yeah, the this universe. is more fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like if you can use the force to move an apple, why would you ever use to just pick up an apple? Um, but yeah, so... This episode kind of like... It's almost like a reverse Kado, where there wasn't really a lot of time spent on the implications of what's happening and what was there was kind of shallow, but there was a lot of time spent on the characters mm-hmm. and their interactions and their own like personal motives. Um, so it was kind of weird because I'm not used to Kado doing that, uh, but it worked out okay actually. Um. I'm just I'm still just bugged by how it kind of ignores the world at large in favor of its laser focus on five people. Eh. So I'll I'll probably give it a four. 
I mm-hmm. think a four is fair. I enjoyed the episode for the most part. Yeah, I'll give it a four. Also, I was oh. really waiting uh, when he was doing the uh, the grab the fish thing with the paper thing yeah. for him to just like start summoning multiple arms. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would have been good. Or he picks it up in like one of those paper whams. <laughs> this this fish will now give us infinite energy. <laughs> I mean, whams do kind of look like miniature fish bowls. Like, let's be honest. <clears throat> You could probably keep a fish in there, and it'd be fine. Also, I like how at the one of the prizes is like a Wii U. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They just have it's, a it, Wii U there. It, it, it's a knockoff Wii U. Yeah, that's that's how low the Wii U has fallen. It's now a prize at a festival game. Uh, hey anyway, man, in a world with aliens, that's true. Uh, all right. Will his next technology be? like perfect VR it's like I, I see know. you have the Oculus Rift <laughs> let me show you something better uh, anyway what do you think the next antistropic gift is going to be um I don't know I mean, I mean if they do another antistropic gift oh I'd bet they will I feel like the next one, because, like, the Wham, the Infinite Energy thing was, like, fairly non-controversial. Um, I mean, it'll put a lot of energy employees out of jobs, so that's bad. But, like, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with an argument that it was bad for humanity to have infinite free energy. Um, where I, and then, but then you, then you have the sleep thing. Which seems like a good thing, but could have negative side effects depending on how society decides to, whether or not they decide to exploit that. Yeah. So I feel like, so I feel like whatever he gives next will sort of be further, uh, further escalation on that, like, sort of ambiguous uh, scale of, like, is this good for humanity or not? Well, yeah, because the like the ambiguity comes from how these new technologies and uh, ways of thinking uh, interact with our current power relationships. I mean, yeah. because right, because your whole idea that yeah, that uh, you know that if people didn't need to sleep, then you know they you could you know, you know you know, employers could force people to work 24 hours a day, that, you know, that depends upon the current state of, you know, employer-employee power relations. Yeah, and it depends on, like, the the um, political biases of whatever, whatever um, political party is currently in power, that yeah. sort of thing. Like, what, what regulations are already uh, existing... So I'm betting either cure diseases so or basically, mortality. So basically, it would suck for China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So I'm. I, I did like this episode, but I, I hope it gets a little more back to in depth on like 
which it seems like it's going to, judging by the episode preview. I, I do hope it gets more in-depth on, like, the consequences of all this stuff in the next episode. Wow, um, okay. Yeah, anyway. So, so my bet for the next gift is going to be cure diseases or immor immortality. Oh, immortality would be a good one, actually. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is that the whams, uh, you know, when they get when they get deployed on a mass scale, that's basically going to solve climate change. Uh, because... Well, yeah. yes and no, but... but well, it, it'll, it'll solve, like, one of the major uh, components of climate change. Like, there are other things like uh say cows actually well yeah <laughs> but the thing is thing is like with right but the thing is the kind of okay like the greenhouse gas but you're is, right it, it 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 would it would make a huge difference like, to to for like if, if if you could put a wham in every car right that would be a huge decrease you put a wham in every car you put a wham in every house in every factory, then <laughs> this sounds like a like pres presidential like nominee speech. It's like a a worm in every car, a food on every table, what, what a was puppy a for every child. Wasn't it a chicken in every pot? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Wait a okay. Hey, Larry, what was it? Uh... You were you were alive back then. <laughs> yeah, Larry, talk, tell us about the Great Depression. <laughs> It was depressing. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about Alice Tozoroku, Episode 8. Um, before we do, though, uh, Dayriff, uh, in his most recent comment, actually has some things to say about some some of the episodes we've been, uh, some of the shows we've been reviewing. Uh, so I'm kind of just going to... Herbert Hoover, that there would be a chicken in every pot and a car in every <laughs> garage. And then Hoover was completely unsuccessful in doing that and actually probably accomplished the complete opposite. Yeah, well, they, named, right. they named the vacuum after him and it really sucked. <laughs> they, named, they, they named houses that homeless people slept in after him, which is generally not a good sign. And for... they also named a dam after him that I hope never leaks. <laughs> yeah, that'd be bad for us. Very bad for you, yes. Would definitely ruin your afternoon. Hoover was not a very good president. Um, anyway. anyway, so Dayriff <laughs> has this to say about Alice Tozoroku. Uh, saw Dustin complaining on Twitter with some validity that every everything interesting about the show had been dropped in favor of Sana making friends. Luckily, episode 8 seems to be swinging back to some of the more interesting dark aspects of the show. And that was correct, actually. Um, that did, in fact, happen in episode 8. Uh, where they, where we meet an entirely new, um, uh, magic girl who can f freeze people. Like, control them like puppets, I guess, more accurately. Well, the interesting thing about her is, is unlike Sana, she doesn't seem to have the energy limits that Sana has. That's true. We never, we never see her get tired out. Mm -hmm. Um... Well, also her. Well, thing is, I think uh, uh, her. Uh, let's see, the girl. The girl. Yeah, the new girl's name is uh, Hatori. Tell me, Hatori. Oh, Hatori. Right. Her her friend calls her friend calls her Hachan. Uh, okay. And uh, 
Right, and, uh, right, so, yeah, Hattori, the thing about Hattori is that, like, her power set is more specialized, so she's probably more efficient at, she's probably more energy efficient using those, like, narrow, narrower set of powers. Yeah. Well, also, actually, she's not, like, creating matter, which actually might make a difference. She's just, she's, like, manipulating things that already exist, rather than, like, creating whales out of thin air or something. Well, yeah. And she she seems to be Sana's opposite reaction, because they cancel each other out. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty interesting, actually, that, like, their powers seem to nullify each other mm, yes most definitely nullify to sana's great frustration their man so sana's reaction to that was like was kind of a mixed bag for me because on the one hand some of the things she did were actually pretty hilarious like when she like after she tried to use her powers and then like she just couldn't so she resolved to just be like, I'll just go over there and, like, wail on her for a bit, completely ineffectually. That was pretty funny. But also, holy cow, was it kind of annoying to have Sana say the th- same things over and over in that high-pitched voice of hers. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Sana's, re- Sana's reaction in, these episode- in this episode was kind of, had its, good p- had its high points and its low points, let's say. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I think it was in character for her because Sana is fundamentally a very immature person. Oh yeah, it's certainly in character, but also, you know, I can still find it annoying. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I can still think it's detrimental even if I acknowledge it makes sense. <laughs> it's hard on the eardrums. Yeah. Um... But yeah, it's yeah. I I I'm kind of struggling to like come to a sort of like <clears throat> I guess I'm struggling to figure out like what exactly my opinion on the whole of this episode is because like it it does give me more of the stuff that I liked about this show in the first place. Um, well. Yeah, the f- it it does have some good visuals, um, but also like I don't know the parts of it felt really heavy-handed and kind of irritating. Um, I don't know. I think the f- overbearing. The first half of the episode uh, gave me kind of, gave me a Kotora sand vibes, like like okay, you remember way back when it was like. Three years ago, uh, the first half of the first episode of Kotorasan was like had the basically had you know like this girl with mind reading powers who, whose life just completely goes to hell. Uh, okay, so I I've never seen Kotorasan, so you're gonna have to walk me through this, right? And yeah, and, and <laughs> so right, so the, like the first half of the first episode was basically all about this telepathic girl who, because, like, she has these telepathic powers, and everybody knows about it, everybody treats her like crap. 
and her wife goes on a complete downward spiral. Um, and I was getting some vibes from the first half of this episode from that. Um, and cause, yeah, I mean, because, yeah, cause the first half of this episode, it, yeah, I was getting that because you have, like, Hattori, you know, she's like having this completely miserable life because her, because, like, you know, her parents are constantly fighting, you know, which, yeah, that, that's pretty awful for, that's pretty awful for a child to go through. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, who suddenly gets these, uh, who suddenly gets these powers, but, you know, these powers sort of, you know, even though they don't have any, con- you know, they don't have any direct consequences for her, they still, they don't make her any happier. And so I really liked the first half of this episode. And then... Yeah, I, I'd say the first half is the strongest part. Right, yeah, the second half... The second half, after she meets up with Sana, yeah, I think, I agree, from an entertainment perspective, it was a mixed bag. Um, but I think, overall, I like this episode pretty well, and I'm gonna give it a four. I can probably agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I, I can I, I can go with your four. I'm just I'm just curious, you know, they kinda left us hanging. I like I guess next episode hopefully we'll explain a little more because like I said, um, I, I mean it, that's it, yeah, there, that's that's clearly a thing they're gonna expand on. If there you know, if there if there's a difference in the power because like I said, they cancel each other out, at least as as far as I'm concerned, is what I saw. Is their powers cancel each other out. And that can be good and bad. But that means there's Sana can't stop her if she goes on a binge. But yeah. Uh, so let's move on to uh, what was it? Right, Little Witch Academia, episode twenty-one, where Croy more directly tries to turn Akko against Chariot. Well, or should we, I say Ursula? Well, because... I, I'm beginning to understand why Croy is crying out because it looks like she got sprayed with the pollen, and that's why she doesn't fly and she uses mechanical magic. <clears throat> also, also, it seems there was some kind of body switching going on because if you look at uh, because if you look at like Ursula currently. She doesn't look anything like Chariot did. I mean, but here's the thing, is that Chariot, much like Akko is trying to, specialize in metamorphosis magic. No, but the thing... She could just give herself different hair. No, it's not just her hair. What Ursula seems to resemble the old Croy quite a bit. I mean... I, I, in, oh, wait a minute, are you talking about when they were younger? Yeah, like like the current Croy Ursula was the one. With, Croy was the one with the glasses. Yes, and also had the same color hair as Ursula does now. Wow. Oh, I never even considered that. So, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> well, it, it, 
we, we need to find out what happened when those guys got exposed to the pollen, because here's the other thing. According to Diana, the pollen reduces the magic ability and you can no longer fly. Well, Akko never had much magic ability and Akko can't fly. Now that she's been a boy exposed to the pollen, is it going to turn out that not only does Akko have magic, but Akko can fly? Uh, Stay tuned. Uh... Yeah, well, I think... I don't know. Yeah, I think the big thing... I think what's holding Akko back is that uh, she seems to have some kind of mental block that's uh, that's preventing from her from using her powers to the fullest. I think... Uh, I think it's once she gets over that mental block, that's when she can fly. That's my guess as to how this is playing out. Well, we'll we'll find out because they've been dusted with pollen, and Diane did. Diane's lines were carefully set there to do exactly, you know, to make the listener go, "Oh, really? Okay." So that's why Croy doesn't fly, and Clory can't use magic because she got pollinated and not Ursula. Anyway, moving along. Well, yeah. One th- another thing was there was also this neat uh, little character moment when. Uh, when uh, Diana's flunkies uh, come up to Akko in the library and, act, and, and, thank her. and thank her for bringing Diana back. Oh, yeah. And then Diana, like, gives later, like, tries to do her own version of, like, I care about what happens to you by lecturing Akko. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a neat little character moment. Yeah, yeah, that was good. I'm yeah. Uh, I'm just I'm still looking into this this Akko bit as like okay fine good yeah maybe <clears throat> and hopefully you know I, I hopefully I'm guessing right on this I mean yeah but uh, it would it would make sense for them to reveal that to us because it does explain a lot of things in my mind. Because I watched the episode twice, I'm like, oh, I didn't miss that. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode five. Yeah. Yep, that's my story. Yeah, I really liked it. It's my story and I'm sticking to it too. Yeah, I agree with that. I really liked it too. Um, Alright, let's move on to My Hero Academy. Episode 22. Uh, oh, actually, uh, Where actually... I- Dayriff, uh, actually, Dayriff in his uh, his post, he had a- Oh, right, he had something to say about Little Witch, yeah. Uh, for all for all that uh, LaCroix is being given the push of a villain, I get the feeling that she is at least uh, the hero of her own story. That is, she wants to be the hero who brings magic back to prominence, and she thinks anything that achieves that goal is okay. But she does see it as a noble goal rather than just wanting power for herself. Mainly that's because of the, of the type of show A Little Witch Academia is, where I can't imagine Akko doesn't redeem Croy by the end. That does seem like sort of the direction that they're going to be going with it. And um, and I am, all, because, like, I am all in favor of that. Yeah, because it, like I- I- Ursula wants to save her too, um, and still considers her a friend. Uh, so yeah, that, that does absolutely seem to be the direction they're heading in. Um, 
So My Hero Academy, uh, I'll quickly read what Deirdre has to say about this one as well. What gets me about Hero Academy is that all the characters affiliated with the hero side behave very much like they're in a universe with consequences. Like, Endeavor is an enormous jerk who, who hates All Might, but I can't imagine him ever throwing a punch at All Might. He'd be arrested and lose everything. Nor do any of the sports festival's competitors try to cheat. Clever play, sure, but you can't imagine them cheating. Even Bakugo walks around saying he's going to, quote, kill people, but knows better than to lay his hands on a fellow student outside a sanctioned match. It's almost like a sports shonen show, except then there's the villains who don't pl play by any of those rules and who could do anything. I think that's makes them scarier than opponents in a standard fighting shonen show where both sides are outside the law. That's a good point, actually. Um, because <clears throat> normally we think of superheroes as vigilantes, because typically that's what they are, and the cops just kind of like don't either don't care or just don't bother, or are too scared to do anything. Uh, whereas in My Hero Academy, everyone is sanctioned, and there there are rules and stuff to being a superhero, and it's like a legit job. Um, so you have all these regulations you abide by when you're a hero. Whereas, yeah, the villains can just do do whatever. Yeah, like you're not sure what they've got up their sleeve. Yeah, yeah. There's a yeah, there's an upcoming arc in the manga where the heroes, you know, where the heroes have to uh, take a test to get a uh, a license to be hero. Yeah, and like that actually, I feel shows itself in this episode with the fight between Uraraka and Bakugo, where Uraraka puts up a like extremely good effort um and but by the end bakugo wins anyway and you realize that if he really wanted to he could just vaporize baraka whenever he wanted to yeah like he, he like he has so much power in those blasts of his that he could be extremely lethal, but he knows enough not to do that to someone. <laughs> like he has, he has as, as much of a dick as he is. He has restraint um, and knows what his powers can do. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting distracted by whatever's happening in Ben's background. Uh, yeah, there's some kids playing outside. Sorry, <laughs> I sort of. It's okay. I sort of figured. I'll fix that in post. Thank you so um, much. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, like as as much. I don't know. It's hard for me to disentangle my personal feelings and desperately wanting Uraraka to put one over on Bakuko and being pissed when that didn't happen. Like, even though this is a very good episode. And there are, like, a couple other female characters still in the running. Um, so at the very least, it's not like Uraraka, the last female standing, was kicked out already. Uh, they've got a couple others. Um, but, yeah. Uh, it's just, just, like, on a irrational kind of, like, level that I, that I don't really have a... <clears throat> real criticism of I wanted Uraraka to win and I'm mad <laughs> that she didn't. Yeah, actually this... so, so, is, so is Mr. Microphone. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that guy. It kind of reminded me uh, it kind of it reminded me of the fight between uh, it way back way back when Naruto was good uh, 
there was this fight between. Uh, Wait a minute, was it ever good? Never mind. Yeah, ages ago, when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, when Naruto was good. Oh, before I was born. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sorry, go ahead, right, Ben. I'll stop right. dissing on Naruto. So yes, yeah, so right, so there was this this fight between. Uh, yeah, this fight between Hinata and Neji, and. I think I remember that one actually. Yeah, we're yeah. Hinata was just completely outclassed by Neji and just got beaten half to death. And yeah, and we were all and like yeah, everybody was really pissed about that because you know Hinata was a so much more so much nicer character because at the time Neji was a Neji was a complete dick. Uh. Yeah, so you're really looking forward to the the part, you know, to the episode when uh, when Naruto actually beats him. Yeah, or at the very least, much like Naruto did when Hinata gets badass, <laughs> because eventually she does. Yeah, um, much like how eventually Naruto decided, hey, we should make Sakura actually powerful now. Instead of having her just be like the butt of jokes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 too bad the story still revolved around Naruto and Sasuke forever. But you know, at least they made Sakura super good at punching. Um, and but yeah, so a very good episode. I really liked. Um. I really like Uraraka showing that she is just as tactically competent uh, as Midoriya is. Um, I have to admit that was a cute stunt of floating all those rocks and was, she was going to bomb the heck out of him. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was impressive. She, she was... Uh... Yeah, I I, uh, I super like the visuals on that attack where she reveals what she's been doing with the concrete Makago has been exploding. Yeah, it's just like a shower of concrete. It's so good, and uh, it, it all was going to work out except she should have waited a little longer and put up a bigger smoke screen to uh, to drop the bomb. She he let he saw yeah. it coming. And it's like oops. And she knew she was um, she knew she was was toast the minute that happened too. Also, like for as for as much as people for as much as some of the characters in that show talked about like how fragile Uraka was, she took a lot of explosions to the face. Yeah, she... I don't know about you guys, <clears throat> but if I took one explosion to the face, like I'm. I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm gonna take a nap for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bakugo actually pointed that out. Like everybody was talking about. Everybody's talking about how, you know, how, you know, like, oh, she's so fragile. And it's like, Bakugo was like, in what way is she fragile? I, yeah, like I don't think Midoriya has been hit that many times by Bakugo's explosions. Like you know, I. Uh... Yeah, it's a. Uh... That's the first time when when we have anger within a dark alley. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I love Uraraka, and I want her to beat Bakugo's ass sometime in the future. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway. Do we uh, give this I'll five? give this episode a five. Yes, yeah. I agree. Five. Yeah, we, uh, uh, let's see, where are we going next? Because I don't look at the list no more. We are going to Rage of Bahamut, Virgin Soul, episode eight. Um, <laughs> where I feel like Dayriff kind of, in, in this particular comment, because um, something still felt off to me about Nina, and... I couldn't figure out what it was until Dara, until I saw what Dara posted, actually. Uh, the op song actually grew on me after I heard it three or four times. This is I, in reference to, I guess, us talking about the op in that epi- uh, in, um, back in episode 325. Uh, which, yeah, like after hearing it enough times, I feel it's almost like a little bit like Stockholm Syndrome, where it's like, yeah, it's not that bad, I guess. I still don't like it, but... Anyway, about Nina. Uh, my biggest problem with Nina as a protagonist is, she, is that she doesn't really want anything or believe in anything. And has nothing to fight for outside of a vague, a vague desire to not see people hurt. Contrast that to every other character in the show who is con- uh, who are constantly in interesting turmoil over their desires. Which is a very good point. Um, Nina doesn't really have motivations which is typically kind of important for a main character to have like she's very much just gotten pulled along by other events uh and sort and like but without really having any per any particular purpose in them outside of just like being a special character uh, which hopefully now that in episode eight, something very bad has happened to her and she has a reason to get pissed off at the king and what's happening to the demons, then maybe actually now she has her motivations and she'll actually become <coughs> more of a character. But yeah, that, that, that was a good point that I had, I had never like really articulated before but makes complete sense now why I didn't really care for her at first. Uh, she well, was just yeah. kind of there. Right, yeah. She, yeah, but like, right, because, like, she came to the city just, like, to get a job, uh, basically. Yeah. To... Yeah, and... Yeah, and then she just does some jobs. Like, there wasn't even conflict about her getting a job, because, like, she, it seemed like every episode she had a different one. And it wasn't a big deal. Uh, whereas, like, at least with at least with Favro, like, he was hella goofy and kind of aloof. But he had a goal. Um, yep. He had motivations. Speaking of Favro, yeah, uh, he's back. Speaking of which, Favro's back! Hey, you know, I, I, the best place And he's Favreau. got even more hair than before. Hey. He's you know, the best place for Favros and the Slammer. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Where he is. is is in prison, which yeah, that makes sense. Of course, Favro would be in prison. <laughs> um, the thing I don't think that Nina, I don't know if she's put the two and two together yet. I don't think she realizes that the young man that she was swooning over is the king. I don't think nope, because Nina is dumb. Well, <laughs> like, she never got a good look at him. He always managed to stay in the shadows. I mean, yes, that's part of it, certainly. But also, Nina's kind of dumb. Like, well, just in know. general. 
she's kind of a ditz. Right. She's she's got her heart in the right place. She's a good girl. She's dumb. Mm, okay. She ain't no Rita. Let's put it that way. No, Rita's the one. It, well, and let's just you know move on to uh, Bacchus and the duck. Kind of oh boy, did they get their goose cooked? Oh yeah. So this is also the episode where the angels finally show up and are like. Hey, that's Joan of Arc's kid. We we kind of want them back now. Uh, why were you hiding them from us? And Bacchus is like, um, because I felt like it. And he is like, that's not a very good excuse. <laughs> he was kind of like, that's the only one you're going to get right now. And the duck's going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we were going to tell you, we were going to tell you. Sure you were. <laughs> I also completely I also completely forgot that one of the requirements for being an angel is to have big old titties. Because uh, that is apparently a trait shared amongst all angels. I would guess. Uh, f- Never mind. Did they, do they have small feet? Because if so, then it, then it works out correctly. You know, nothing goes good in the shadow. <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah, Maguro goes to heaven... And the angels are all, are all like, hey, Maguro, want to break your mom out of prison? <laughs> and Maguro's like, uh, silent. <laughs> so I'll think about it. I, at uh, least I assume that that's what Maguro is meaning. You, mean, well, you can never really tell. Uh, Muguro. Muguro, whatever. And, and, you know, the other thing is, you know, she seems to be, at the moment, a mute. And I don't know if this muteness is on purpose or if it's a defensive that her that her mother left her with. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, looking over there and Kaiser, all of a sudden, his voice goes, "Yo, hey, hi. Guess who's in the slammer with you?" Yeah, I thought the yeah I thought Kaiser's fight with the king was kind of interesting, like. Yeah, like that bit when that bit when the king stabs him in the arm and it's his fake arm. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> got your sword. It's like, yeah, I don't care. So psych. Have a nice day. Uh, but yeah, no, that fight scene, like with uh, Azazel and the king and um, Kaiser. Uh, and Kaiser all fighting each other was real good. Uh, as was actually Nina's speech to the king, or rant to the king, I guess, when she finds out what her sentence is, and is like, this is stupid, you're stupid, all of this is dumb, you're just a dumb jerk. (laughs) You can't shoot her for being honest. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, looking forward to seeing her punch her way out of that prison. Yeah. Yeah, well... Which, like, you'd think that the king would be smart enough not to put every superpowered person in the same location, but, you know... Well, here's the other thing. (laughs) Favreau showed up for a reason. I wonder if Favreau has a way to trigger the dragon. Look, we just need Nina to fall in love with Kaiser now, is is all the thing. Kaiser's pretty. (laughs) Kaiser's a pretty boy. Look. It can work, yeah. Uh... We can make this work. 
Okay, I'm going to give in, this in, some... Uh... It, in my headcanon, Amira shows up in demon form and just punches through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give but this yeah. episode... I, I, really, I wanted to give it a 5, but I'm going to give it a 4 because we needed more Favreau. Yeah. Um, I will actually give it a 5. Um, also, I forgot, uh, Azazel is not actually in the same location as... Favreau, Kaiser, Nina, and Joan of Arc. He's actually in a special torture chamber. Yeah, getting the daylight speed out of him. Yeah, like lit by teal lights, apparently. The king has some neon going on in that torture chamber. Well, yeah, because they need they need those those lights in order to seal his powers. Oh, because, right. Because uh, you remember, yeah. like, because you remember that that like in order to stop the demons. The uh, like uh, the king's uh, special knights had to use those uh, had to use those green. lights. Yeah, the green things. Right, green I forgot about darkness. that. Yeah, the ones that Mugo kind of rendered useless for uh, until the angel s- puts the snatch on her. Yeah. Yeah, it was that that whole situation still kind of. I'm yeah, I'm still sorting that out in my head. I'm really looking forward to the next episode. I give this a, I give this a five. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not that I'm being a party pooper, but I think it was a four. So there. You know where All you right. guys know where to leave the comments at. <laughs> if you don't know where to Let's... leave the comments by now, well, I give up on y'all. Let's talk about Eccentric Family, um, episode eight. <clears throat> Uh, Darius' comment for this episode is a key aspect of the Benten Yasuburo relationship is that to her he's an animal. I think she does genuinely like him on some level, but to her he'll always be a tanuki, and she could never think of herself as being the equal of an animal. Which is probably an accurate reading of that. Pretty much. Actually. Um. Yeah. Uh, and sp- honestly speaking of, this is actually a pretty well-timed comment too, because, uh, this particular episode, uh, by the end reveals why Yasuburo's relationship with, uh, God, what is Kaisuke. her name? Kaisei. Kaisuke. Kaisei. Kaisei. Why his relationship with Kaisei is so fraught, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, anybody that can, you know, it's like mom in the thunderstorm, you know, thunderstorm, mom reverts. Uh, he sees her, he reverts. And yeah. I don't know if the rever- reversion's mutual, though. It seems, yeah, it, well, yeah, it seems to be that every Tanuki has a weakness that uh, causes them to shift back into Tanuki form. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, you know, like Yasuburo's mom, her weakness is thunderstorms. You know, and yeah, and right, and turns out that Yasuburo's weakness is Kaisei. Yeah. Oops. She's like, how can you be married to me that every time you see me, you're going to revert back to a furball? I got a feeling, though, there's got to be a way around it. Yeah, because... I mean... So the the alternative choice to that, because like, so what's interesting about the start of this episode is like we've rarely seen 
Yasuro's mother say really anything negative. Um, but during their morning of Sone, she talks about how Tanuki are so foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get up to too many antics, and maybe they just should calm down every once in a while. Uh, Which and is part of that completely legit. And part of that, yeah, and like, yeah, she says Tanuki are truly foolish creatures. Um, and I think part of that is basically every Tanuki we've seen spends most of their time not as a Tanuki. Uh, they they spend their time as anything else, um, uh, tricking people and doing all sorts of antics, but never really as themselves. Um, so this may be, I may be stretching here, um, but Yasubro in particular is kind of obsessed with that sort of traditional Tanuki thing of being the prankster being the guy who tricks people, being the guy who's all who's never showing what he truly is, um, sort of be, being the fool, uh, and Kaisei represents a person that where he literally cannot get away with that. He is there. There are in universe rules that prevent him from being a trickster that force him to show his true face. Uh, so it could be that, like, ultimately, Yasuburo's character arc is an acceptance of, like, a, a sort of rejection of his need to be anything else other than what he is. Um, and actually, like, being serious for once and being forthright. Uh, because rarely does Yasuburo say what he's actually thinking. Yeah, I can go there. That's a really yeah, that's a really interesting uh, theory. I like it. Yeah, so I don't I don't know. It might be a reach, but it's it's kind of what came to mind. Um, because it 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 feels like it. Because, like, there's no way this show will ever end with Yasubro hooking up with Ben 10. It's just not going to happen. Honestly, the the prospect of Ben 10 hooking up with anyone seems virtually impossible. Ben 10 is exceptionally aloof. Yeah, Yeah, Ben 10 does not seem like the person who would want to do that. Well, that's the thing, is that, yeah, yeah, that that Dayriff's comment about how, you know, yeah, how, how Ben 10, you know, doesn't regard Yasuburo as an equal. She's like that with everybody. She doesn't regard anybody as an equal to her. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like the Yasuburo is never going to end up with Benton, um, and I think the show itself is very well aware of that and will not do that. Uh, so if Yasuburo ends up with anyone, it is going to be Kaisei, and it just makes the most sense given his the way he has behaved yeah. and like all the, every, like every problem he has had, like everything he's done that has led him to a conflict, uh, is sort of the result of him try like being that tr- trickster sort of stereotype. 
stereotype. Um, but yeah, I I really like this episode a lot. It was a very low key one. Um, but also very good, partly because we got a lot of Gokuren, and I really like her. <laughs> yeah. She, she is maybe the most level-headed Tanuki that has ever existed in this show. Yes, thank. Yeah, it's like she just cuts through all the nonsense. <laughs> I love that. I love characters like that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we find out that Yajiro can now turn turn into a human and a Tanuki again. At least temporarily. He is no longer stuck as a. At least temporarily. Except, yeah, except yeah. around his mother. Yeah. That's a heck of an exception. Yeah, he's, he's no longer permanently stuck as a frog. Yeah. So the medicine, the medicine that he got worked. Yep. Go him. Thank you, uh, Grandma. Yeah. Um, uh, do you have anything else you want to say about this episode, Ben? Because I talked a lot. <laughs> yeah, like... Right, yeah. Getting back to that, you know, I think, uh, yeah, Yasuburo's pursuit of Benten is, you know, just one is one instance of him playing the fool. And, uh, yeah, I think... I think uh, Yasuburo's character arc will be complete when he gives that up. Yeah. I almost wonder if, like... I almost wonder if, if he finds it easier to pursue pursue Benton. Um, simply because he knows that they will never be together. So he can kind of play that sort of aloof guy who never really says what he's really thinking because Benton doesn't either. So they can just continually circle around each other and leave each other in limbo. Um, I almost wonder if like the reason that is that he's just more comfortable that way. It's possible. And like, and, like anything that is cl- clearly defined is just kind of scary to him. But that that does make some sense because there are a lot of people who go after something they know they can never have, and then when they can't have it, they're still happy because they went after it. I know that makes no sense with it. I mean, that was straight up like a character arc in the Monogatari series, too. Like, that was, um, oh, God, Snake Girl. Uh, 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 Sengoku? Sengoku, yes. Yes. Yeah, that was Sengoku's whole thing. Yeah. Where, like, she knew she was never going to be able to, um, like, get with Araragi. She knew that wasn't going to happen. Uh, but it was easier for her to just keep everything in limbo because that way she wouldn't have to fail and face rejection. Um, yeah, so, like, it, it, in a lot of ways, like I, I maybe like Eccentric Family so much because very much like Monogatari, we can have these really in-depth conversations about what a character's motivations are, like why they do the things they do, 
um, what they're what they really want, what they're saying, and what they and what they are not saying. Uh, it's a very like satisfyingly complex series. Yep. That I'm pretty sure I could never say enough good things about. Anyway, um, I give this episode a five. I agree. Oh yeah, it's anything. Yeah, you have to give it a five. There's just there's no way anything else, and you're you're not being true to yourself. Hey, where else we're going? I think we're done. Yeah. So that'll be it. Oh, no, um, no, 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 I do no, actually. No, no never brief... mind. Never mind. I found my note. Never mind. Uh, brain, brain fade. Don't worry about. Yeah. Me. Actually. Uh. Yeah. Uh. In the comments. Uh. Mark Benjamin wants us to talk about recreators. Yeah, which we did last week, but also I did want to mention I watched episode four. Um and like I think my opinion on recreators now, like I, I had a discussion with Twitter. Um uh, sorry, not with with not with Twitter. I had a discussion with Fathomless Blue on Twitter. There you go. About recreators and how I felt like the show had kind of been overhyped <clears throat> by some of the people who were talking about it. And that it felt like people were making it out to be this sort of show that took an that took a like critical and and sort of in like thoughtful view and philosophical 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 view on what it really means to be a fictional character and how that would work if they could go outside their fiction and realize like what was happening. Um, and recreators plays with that a little bit, but it's a very shallow kind of surface level engagement with it. Like I, I mentioned last week how it was kind of weird that, a one of the creators could just mention to a character that oh yeah you're about to get betrayed and also one of your friends is gonna die and like it would barely phase them uh and episode four kind of follows the same sort of thing where none of the creations like their problems don't seem to be about like sort of the question of what is my free will? Do I even have free will? What does it mean that all my actions and future actions have already been decided for me, regardless of what I think about them? Like, what does that mean for, like, my sentience? And more about, like, oh, my creator gave me a nice world, so they're good. Or my creator gave me a world that really sucks and I hate them. Which, I mean, certainly is something that a fictional character would probably think, but it's also the shallowest thing to talk about. Um, uh, I don't know, like, it's, it's an interesting, I, it's like, I'm, I'm trying not to be too down on it, because I do think it's a totally fine show. Um, I think I do like it a little bit more than Alice, just because I like the characters more they're more entertaining for me um but ultimately like it is a show that has a very interesting core concept that just doesn't 
do a whole lot with. Uh, oh, later episodes, there's more going on. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's... Now, see, what's interesting about that is, like, when I talked to Fathomless Blue about my impressions of, like, episodes three and four... And he was like, yeah, it doesn't really change much from there. Uh, like, if you're not digging it by now, you probably won't dig it more later on. Well, so I'm getting conflicting signals now. Uh, well, yeah, it's like, okay, later... Because in episode 8, we sort of we actually get to uh, the motivations of the uh, military uniform princess. Uh, and actually, in episode 7, we find out what her real name is. And where she came from. Uh. Yeah. I I guess my main issue is that, like, all the characters, e- even, like, the, the military princess and the magical girl who have, like, the <laughs> most nuance takes, like, are still fairly simplistic in their reactions to what has been going on so far. Uh, I don't know. I'm... I am on board with this show. I am really liking it a lot. Um, yeah, like I, I like it well enough. Again, like I, I, I think so far it's it's better than Alice. Um, yeah, the main. But yeah, that I, I, I just have I, I don't know. It just always bugs me when a show comes up with a really cool idea, cool idea that has really interesting implications and kind of just doesn't do as much as I would, would hope it would. Well, the main weakness, the main weakness of the show for me is, uh, the character of Sota. Uh, like, yeah, you know, the nerdy, the nerdy guy who's supposedly the main character. Uh, cause it's really, like, it's really frustrating the way he doesn't open up to anybody. Uh, even if it's kind of in character for him. It, yeah, it's one of those things where it gets in line with, like, it's like, I mean, you were talking about previous shows where you have characters who are, you know, they do things that are frustrating even if they are in character for them. And so that's what's happening with Sota. Uh... Because it turns out that he has a connection with the creator of the military uniform princess. Hmm. But yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, so I guess that that's my current opinion on recreators, is that it's good, but I really wanted it to be better. <laughs> oh, how many anime have we said that about in recent history? <laughs> Just saying. But yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, that'll be it for this episode of Bakacast, I believe. Um, yeah, as always, you can send us questions or comments on our blog at www.projectharhi.net, or you can send us uh, send email? us stuff through our email at bakacast at projectharhi.net. Uh, ben, Dustin. Three, two, one. Kiraboche. Kiraboche. Anime. Yeah. Better than broadcast television. See you later. (laughs)
Bye-bye. <laughs>